There are times in most relationships when we're faced with one of two situations: we feel a need to protect ourselves, or we feel a need to protect someone else. Every once in a while, when it comes to giving feedback, those two things can happen at the same time. How can we act in a way that establishes boundaries while still being kind? Welcome to episode ten of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host Beth Bilo, and I am so pleased that you have chosen to share this time with me. In this episode, we're going to take a look at two listener questions: one that is about dealing with negative people, and the other about sharing difficult feedback with a colleague who's having personal issues. Before we turn to the questions, I want to share an interesting idea that I picked up last week. I was speaking at the Booth Women Connect conference hosted by the University of Chicago. One of the breakout sessions I attended featured a speaker, Sangita Kasturi, and I hope I'm saying her last name properly. She is the CEO of Action Inclusion. I'm working on having her as a guest on the show, so we'll hear more from her in the near future. But until then, here's one piece of wisdom that I took away from her presentation. For many of us, "I'm sorry" is a knee-jerk response to any wrongdoing we've committed. "I'm sorry for being late." I'm sorry I forgot to pick that up. I'm sorry for changing plans, etc. Before I go any further with this, let me emphasize: there are definitely times when an apology is appropriate, and not every error or misstep requires an explicit apology. Here's what Sangeeta recommended for those moments: instead of saying "I'm sorry," say "Thank you." For instance, "Thank you for your patience. You were kind to wait for me." Thank you for understanding. I'll get it next time. Thank you for being flexible with our plans, etc. Many times we say "I'm sorry" when all that's really required is an acknowledgement that someone's been inconvenienced or that we messed up in some way. Thank you serves as that acknowledgement, and it recognizes something specific about what the other person experienced. Usually, "I'm sorry" is followed by an excuse. There was traffic. I'm forgetful. I changed my mind. The reason or excuse usually isn't important or relevant. It's more important to name what you're grateful for in recognition for how the other person or people accommodated you. Yes, as I said, sometimes what the situation requires is an explicit apology, and if that's the case, be quick and generous in giving it. My challenge to you is to notice if you're apologizing for everything and anything, and where a reframe of "thank you" might be just as effective and more empowering. Okay, it's time to move on to our listener questions. Our first one comes to us from Kate, who left a message on the "How Can I Say This?" voicemail line. Hey, Beth. So, what are your suggestions for how to be around negative people without absorbing their negativity and becoming negative yourself? Thanks so much. This question reminds me of the time my husband started a new job and was making himself at home in his new office. On the bookcase was a book titled "How to Deal with People You Can't Stand: Left Behind by a Predecessor." Our first reaction was to laugh because what kind of leader has that book out in their office for everyone to see? Our second reaction was concern, wondering what motivated someone to buy the book in the first place. Fortunately for my husband, there was no one he worked with that he couldn't stand, 
And while I don't think Kate is saying that she can't stand whoever is negative in her life, there's a similar dynamic in terms of being around people who suck your energy and who you feel like you have to protect yourself from. And it's true, negative people can be people that we love, they're just challenging to be around. Here I want to offer two don'ts and three do's when it comes to being around negativity. One, while it might be tempting, don't try to tell them to turn their frown upside down and just cheer up or see the glasses half full. It's not your job to make them happy or to tell them that everything's going to be okay. If you take on that responsibility, you're likely to be met with resistance and only feel frustration. Let them be the contrarian or vent a bit and assume the role of listener. If you're a fan of visualization, it might help to picture yourself as a brick wall that deflects their negative energy, causing it to bounce off of you instead of being that sponge that absorbs it all. Or you can see yourself as a chain link fence, allowing their words to flow freely through you and be dispersed out behind you. You could also imagine pouring some of your half-full glass of sunshine into their half-empty one. During my time in a toxic work environment, a friend suggested that as I was driving into work, to imagine myself putting on a robe of white light that formed a barrier between me and the negativity around me. I tried it out several times, and it helped to remind me that I had a choice about absorbing what was going on around me. If I couldn't change them, I could do whatever was necessary to safeguard my own positive attitude. Consider this. What's one small thing that you can do to communicate positivity without dismissing their feelings? It might be to smile sympathetically and just listen. Remind them of something positive in their lives or another time when things did work out. If it feels appropriate, ask what you can do to help or what they need that will help with the situation. Focus on the present moment and consider what you can do to make the best of it. Two, don't fall into commiserating with them. It's okay to acknowledge what they're expressing. For instance, saying, I hear you, or that does sound annoying, or it does look like that could be a challenge. In fact, acknowledgement might be part of what helps the conversation and energy move past the negativity into something more enjoyable. Just be careful of getting looped into their patterns and reinforcing their attitude. Unless you feel like a pity party is what the situation calls for and you're willing to intentionally participate, aim for general recognition of their pain without encouraging them to keep spinning their negative web. Number three. Do communicate with patience and compassion. At the root of negativity is often fear. It's easier for someone to complain than to change their situation. Even if they're angry, it's more likely that they're afraid. You don't want to play armchair psychologist and try to figure out what's wrong or diagnose them. It's not useful to try to label their behavior. But it's probably safe to consider that they're coming from fear, which might help soften the hard edges of their negativity and help you hold it more lightly. It might even help with feeling some empathy for them. It's a bit easier to relate and listen to someone who we perceive as afraid than as negative. And by patience, I don't mean that you need to listen until they've exhausted themselves and therefore exhausted you. Rather, it's an invitation to suspend judgment and the impulse to fix them. 
When you feel you've reached your limit, you can bring the conversation to a close or choose to extract yourself from it. This might sound like, let's come back to this another time, or can we revisit this later? Or, what do you want to see happen? Asking a question that directs them to think into the future might also help move them towards a more productive and therefore positive place. Four, do try to redirect their focus. If they've been negative about a specific topic like politics, family, their health, or work, you can try to gently steer the conversation to a different topic, saying something like, you know, I'd like to switch gears and get your thoughts on something. Or, hey, do you want to go to and suggest an activity that gets you both out of the moment? It's one way of setting a boundary around how much of their energy you're willing to take. And finally, five, do honor your need for space and optimism and decide what relationship you want with this person. They might be a coworker, family member, or best friend. And in those cases, a direct conversation with them might be in order. You could start it by saying, I really value our relationship and I really care about you a lot. I've been having a hard time lately, though, because I'm finding difficult to stay positive when we're together. When we talk about, and insert the topic here, I keep wanting to make you feel better or to fix it, and I know I can't. I want to support you, and I'm wondering how to do that. Then just be quiet and see how they respond. They might have no idea how they come across. Or they might very well know, but are unaware of how it's affecting you. If you decide to be direct, keep your feedback focused on I statements about how you're feeling and what you value in the relationship. And finally, if you find that you simply can't handle that person in your life, you can choose to limit the amount of time you spend with them or forgo it altogether. Maybe you dilute their impact by only seeing them when there are others around. You may decide that the relationship costs you more than it gives you, and that is okay. I want to revisit and paraphrase something that Cindy Noble shared in episode four, when she made the point that you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. The other way of saying it is you don't have to attend every relationship you're invited to either. If you feel consistently stressed and like there's no upside to staying in the relationship, it might be best to let it go or shift it so that it's less intimate or personal than it had been. I'll include a few resources on the episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com slash podcast. Based on the number of books, articles, and posts on this topic, you are not alone. Thanks, Kate, very much for submitting that question. Our second question comes from an anonymous submission online through the question submission form. They wrote, I have a friend and colleague that is struggling with a chronic illness. I have great empathy for her situation and the way it impacts her quality of life. However, I struggle with how she chooses to manage that situation from a professional perspective. We are fortunate to work from home as we work in high tech. We collaborate often on high visibility projects. Lately, she's gone MIA during her workday and is dropping many critical projects and missing deadlines or is completely unreachable. She also deals with a lot of self-doubt and worry that being transparent will result in her being fired. I've had to continue to take back ownership of a lot of shared responsibility so her focus can be on healing. But I struggle with the extra workload and wish she was better and communicating when she needs to take breaks or time off. 
I feel awful when I reach out to follow up on an overdue item and am told that she's bedridden due to pain. How can I express to a very sensitive person that her failure to communicate and manage her limitations is creating issues within our work environment? You clearly have a compassionate and sympathetic attitude towards your colleague, especially since you also refer to her as your friend. It's clear that you care. Your perspective puts you in a tug of war between being the empathetic friend and the frustrated colleague. And what's interesting to me is that when I first crafted that previous sentence, I wrote situation instead of perspective. So I wrote your situation puts you in a tug of war. Using the word situation implies observable fact. Perspective, on the other hand, implies interpretation. I wonder if there's an opportunity to step back and see it first as a situation. Let's try an experiment. If you remove the friendship element, what's true? These are the observable facts. Your friend has a chronic illness. You both work from home. You are frequent collaborators. She's missing deadlines and dropping projects. You are taking on extra work. She's not communicating her needs. This is a stripping away of the interpretation of the situation, leaving out the emotionally charged points about struggle, self-doubt, and worry. Now the next question becomes, what needs to change? Again, stay with me in the spirit of experimentation. If you had no knowledge of her backstory or personal situation, what would you do? What would you say needs to change? You point at it in your question. You say you want better communication about when she needs breaks and time off, and you want her to be more consistent about staying in touch during a project. You also have concerns about how she's managing her illness, and you believe there's a connection between her illness and the professional challenges. You also mention that you want her to get better, and I'm guessing that she does too. This is where the serenity prayer comes to mind. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. If we borrow from the serenity prayer playbook, and try saying that five times fast, (laughs) what do you need to accept about her that's not going to change? What can you change about the situation? What's within your control? What would it feel and sound like to be courageous about acceptance and change? I can't answer those questions for you, so I offer them for your reflection. Once you know what needs to be accepted, which means letting go of the wish that things were different, focus on what can be changed and where your responsibility begins and ends. Since you say you're a colleague, I'm kind of assuming that you're not her boss. And my sense is that you don't want to escalate the issue to her supervisor, at least not without exhausting the possibilities of addressing the situation between just the two of you. That said, keep in mind the possibility of escalation and keep that in your back pocket, because there might come a point when trying to resolve the problem calls for you to accept the things that you cannot change. It's almost always best to try to find that solution directly between the parties involved. If you believe you have that potential for that to happen here, then come up with a list of things that you feel need to change, ones that can change. For instance, it might be that you say to her, this is hard for me to say because I know you have a lot on your plate right now. I value you as a collaborator 
And I'm feeling like we could be working better together if we revisited how we communicate with one another during the course of a project. For instance, it would be really helpful to me if I knew when you were going to be off the grid, so I can get all of my questions to you before you're not available. Would you be willing to talk through how we can develop a better system for keeping track of our work deadlines and project communication? The key here is to avoid blame and assumptions and to open up the conversation. And this includes the assumption that it's her illness that's the problem. There might be something else going on that's related or unrelated. It's an opportunity to get curious about what she's experiencing. I'll grant you, based on what you share, it's probably safe to say that her illness is very much a factor. But it's always worth it to go into a conversation with curiosity and an open mind about what could be going on. That's why I didn't refer to her illness in the language I offered a minute ago. If she mentions it to you, then you can acknowledge it. The invitation is to at least enter into the conversation without any assumptions. You could also say something like, I want to support you and give you space to focus on your healing while also making sure that my workload doesn't become overwhelming. What do you need to happen or change in order for the work to be more evenly distributed? If you know for an undeniable fact that her pain is the only obstacle to better collaboration, you could name it directly by saying, I understand and totally get that your illness is a real challenge right now. Where I'm struggling is in trying to make sure that everything stays on track. I'm getting overwhelmed, and I'm not sure what to do about it. I wonder if you would help me by telling me more about what you're going through, and maybe we can brainstorm some solutions together that will give you space to heal while enabling both of us to get our work done. In these examples, the work takes front and center, while recognizing her personal circumstances is a little bit more on the back burner. This is how you say, I get that you're worried about your job without reinforcing that fear and making it into the main point. A final thought to consider as you reflect on what you have control over and therefore what you need to communicate. It could be that by labeling her as very sensitive, you've put up a block for both of you that doesn't need to be there. She's a talented, professional adult woman, and as someone in high tech, she's likely not as fragile as she seems. If you approached her as a person who could handle some direct feedback and coaching, what would be different? If you saw her not as very sensitive, but as resilient, how would that change your response to the situation? Yes, she is vulnerable, and it's okay to acknowledge that. The point is that because you've cast her in a particular role, some of the barriers to communicating clearly and empathetically might be of your own making. Consider what role, if any, your assumptions might be playing into making the situation more challenging than it needs to be. It might be that the most compassionate thing you can do is be direct, trusting that you will do so in a way that treats her with dignity and respect. I so appreciate both listener questions. While different on the surface, they share a challenge of communicating with someone who might not want to hear what we have to say. Just the fact that these questions are being asked is encouraging to me, as it shows that people care enough to be positive and kind with one another, even when it's hard. And that alone gives me hope. Remember that you can find a few resources about how to handle negative people and tricky feedback, as well as information about how to connect with me and the services I offer at howcanisaythis.com. 
While you're there, sign up for the new weekly newsletter to receive more communication tips straight into your inbox. If you have a how can I say this question to submit for a future episode, you'll find the online submission form at howcanisaythis.com. You can also leave a text or voicemail 24-7 at 562-704-6643, and you'll find that number on the Submit a Question page on the website. And finally, you can send me your question directly at beth at howcanisaythis.com. No matter how you decide to submit the question, you have the choice to be completely anonymous, and I really hope that we hear from you. If you enjoy this podcast, I invite you to share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. I also ask that you take just a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever platform you listen through. Your choice to review and subscribe really does make a difference, and I've tried to make it easy because sometimes iTunes and other platforms don't exactly cooperate or make it intuitive, so I've included instructions on how to submit a review if you go to howcanisaythis.com. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This. Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thanks for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.